Our scripture reading this morning will come from Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 13 through 35. Now, um, I'm not much for, I guess, what you would call Facebook challenges. Um, if, uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm on Facebook and I see someone post something that says, I'll bet you won't repost this, right? And, and I'm usually like, yeah, you'd be right. Yeah. I don't give in to peer pressure on Facebook. Um, but I did one this week uh, that, that, uh, that I actually thought was a lot of fun. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, 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 challenged me to do uh, the album challenge. And I was supposed to post every day of the week. I was supposed to post... Um, uh, music album, a picture of a music album um, that uh, that has influenced me in my life, or or is a, a favorite of mine. I had to pick a different one each day, and it was actually a lot of fun to do that and to go back and think about what are uh, some of uh, my favorite albums and what have they been throughout the years and how are they different now than than they used to be, and. Um, I, one of the ones I picked really early on was Beach Boys' Endless Summer. And the reason I picked that one is I could remember uh, this old cassette tape we had of Beach Boys' Endless Summer that, um, that uh, I used to listen to when I was a kid. I would put it in the tape player in my room and I would listen to it as I, as I went to sleep over and over and over and over. So that might not be one of the um, real uh, uh, hip selections, Beach Boys' Endless Summer, but if, if I'm really honest, um, that, is a, that is an album that had an influence on me. And the, and the crazy thing is, is when I go back and listen to some of those songs, like Surfer Girl, In My Room, Little Deuce Coop, you know, uh, on, on that tape, all these memories come flooding back. Of, of, of singing in my room. I, I can suddenly see the posters that were on the wall. Um, I can, uh, can, can feel what that uh, jungle green um, uh, carpet felt like beneath my feet. Um, it, it just all comes back. Music has a profound effect on us like that, doesn't it? that we, it's almost like we store these memories in, in a song, and then when we hear the song, they all start flooding back. And so I was picking these albums. I picked Alicia Keys' Songs in A Minor because it made me think of my senior year in high school. Um, I, uh, I picked Nora Jones uh, because it made me think of falling in love with Crystal um, and, and, and just all these different periods in my life. Hymns can be like that too, can't they? Some of these songs we sing in, uh, in the hymnal, you, 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 the words are so familiar and it's almost like an old cassette tape and you start hearing those words and, and it's like all the memories start flooding back. I don't know if you all grew up with the one that we just sang, Open My Eyes That I May See, but it's one I grew up with. It was, it was one of my mom's favorite songs. And every time we sing that, I'm just kind of taken back to, um, to my childhood church. 
I can um, just remember um, those stiff wooden pews. I can just uh, remember the taste of Werther's originals on my tongue that the guy behind me used to always uh, feed me. I can hear the warbling, high-pitched voice from the back of the room of the old lady in the hat that sang like three octaves above the rest of us. And I can picture my dad behind the pulpit. And his hair is much darker than it is now, and he has much more of it. But all of those memories come flooding back. But that's not the reason I picked the song, um, Open My Eyes, That I May See. I actually picked it because whenever I sing it, I think of, of those childhood memories, but I also think of the passage we're about to read about two strangers who are uh, two disciples who are walking along the road to Emmaus and a stranger comes alongside them. And it's Jesus, but they don't recognize him yet. And they desperately need their eyes to be open to the presence of Jesus in their life. And so when we sing that song, Silently Now I Wait for Thee, Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me. I can't help but think of those two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. I'm sure you've heard this scripture many times before. I'm sure it's been preached here many times before. I hope for you that it's, it's like an old cassette tape when we read it together, that you'll be transported that um, as, as I read these words, that you will, you will become those disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. That you'll feel the, the dirt beneath your feet. That you'll hear the sound of the Master's voice. And that you'll taste and smell the bread as he breaks it. Hear now the word of our Lord. Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, in our passage this morning, the disciples have come full circle. We began Lent by talking about the disciples walking with Jesus and what it means for us to walk with Jesus. We talked about the disciples' journey from Galilee to Jerusalem as they walked with their Lord and they learned from him and and they encountered all these people along the way. And now here at the very end of Luke's gospel, the disciples are walking with Jesus again. They're on the road again. Only this time, they don't recognize him. Only this time, Jesus is a stranger to them. This time, they don't realize that they are in the presence of their Lord. And Luke doesn't really tell us why. He just says in a very vague way, they were kept from recognizing him. By what? Or who? What was it that was keeping the disciples from recognizing Jesus? As you can imagine, among um, uh, preachers and Bible scholars, theories abound. Um, Some people say uh, it's because of of Jesus' um, resurrection body. That uh, that when he was resurrected, his, his body was different in some way. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul describes that, um, that, that, that we, are, we are buried in brokenness, but we will be raised in wholeness. That we are buried with earthly bodies, but, but that we will be raised with spiritual bodies. That the, the, in, the perishable flesh must take on the imperishable. And, and so the theory goes that Jesus' resurrection body must have been so different, of a different quality, that the disciples would have really had to to focus on him and and, and look at him uh, very carefully to recognize that it was Jesus. Another theory is that maybe Jesus himself or God was, was, was keeping the disciples from recognizing him that uh, while they walked with Jesus, that they were in kind of a, uh, they were kind of a 
in a fog and that there was something that, that was keeping them from, from perceiving Jesus in their midst. Uh, we see this a lot in, in the Hebrew Bible, don't we? Um, there's a story of, uh, of Abraham receiving three visitors and the visitors are there to tell him that um, in a year's time, uh, his wife Sarah is going to give birth to a son named Isaac. And it's only after the three visitors leave that Abraham realizes that he was in the presence of God. Or, uh, or you think about Jacob, who spends all night wrestling with the stranger. And while he's wrestling with the stranger, he's kind of in a fog. He doesn't perceive that, that the stranger is in fact the Lord. But it's only after he wakes up and the stranger is gone that he says, surely I was, the presence of the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. And so the theory goes that the disciples were in, were in a similar kind of fog, that they were in the presence of their Lord and they didn't know it until later. Or maybe if, you're, if you preserve uh, prefer like a more naturalistic explanation. You could think about the effects of trauma, a, a post-traumatic sort of sort of thing where where the disciples have been so shocked by the events of the past couple of days, and uh, they, they've seen their, um, their their savior that they've dedicated you know three years of their lives to following that they put all their hopes in. They've seen all that dashed before their eyes, seen the, the, the horror of the crucifixion, and their brain in some kind of shock has gone into some kind of survival mode, and, 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 and they can't quite recognize Jesus because of all the stuff they're going through. My own personal theory is maybe it's like a, um, a Superman Clark Kent kind of situation. You know, maybe, um, maybe Jesus has left his, uh, his trademark um, uh, white robe and blue sash in a telephone booth somewhere. And now he's in a tan suit and horn-rimmed glasses and no one recognizes him. Good theory as any, I think. But Luke doesn't tell us. It just says they were kept from recognizing him. And he says it so matter-of-factly, like it's the most natural thing in the world for, for Jesus to be in our presence and for us not to recognize him. And the truth is he may have a point, right? Right? The truth is, we can all probably think of times that Jesus was in our presence, that he was walking beside us, that he was trying to teach us something, but we didn't recognize it. And looking back, oh, we know, oh, we know, he was there. Our hearts were burning within us the whole time, but at the time, we just didn't quite see it. Maybe you're in a season like that now, right? You're just, you're just trying to figure it all out, and, and, and maybe Jesus is in the midst of walking beside you, trying to teach you something right now, and you're just not quite picking it up yet. We went around the room, we all probably have different reasons and different theories for why we think that is. 
why we, why we don't recognize Jesus' presence in our lives. For some of us, it might be something like trauma. It might be something like too many unanswered prayers, too many disappointments. Maybe people in the church that, 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 that have hurt us or let us down, and we've just stopped looking for Jesus in it all. Because it just gets so painful to feel like we're let down all the time. For others, if we're honest, maybe it's sin. Maybe there's something in our lives that, that, that absorbs our attention and, and keeps us from seeing Jesus. That, that we're, we're stuck in our brokenness and, and our endless cycles that we're too long on the hamster wheel and, and we just don't see Jesus in our presence. Or we assume that because we've walked away from him, that he's walked away from us. Maybe pride. A lot of us like to think we've got to where we are our own strength by ourselves that we didn't need that extra grace, that extra help. We didn't need the Savior pointing the way. That, that we got here on our own selves, and so we assume that we're, we're these, these lone rangers, that we don't have our Savior walking beside us. Me, if I'm going to be honest, and, and this is embarrassing, sometimes I don't recognize Jesus in my life because I've kind of forgotten what he looks like. Because I've gone too long without praying. And I forget what his voice sounds like. I've gone too long without reading the Bible. So I forget what his face looks like. If I'm honest, I go through, through these spells where, where I just, uh, I've just been away from it for too long and I've forgotten what the sound of Jesus' voice is like, and I've forgotten uh, what it is to recognize him walking alongside me. And so I'll go through the season, and, and, and I'll feel my heart burning, and I'll know someone's trying to show me something, and I'm just not quite putting it together, because I've forgotten. So what is it for you? something I said, all of the things I said, something else entirely. We might all have a different reason. And, 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 and that's the reason I think maybe it's, it's a good thing that uh, Luke is so vague about the cause, right? Because if he, if, he, if he said something really specific, we could say, well, I don't have that. That's not my problem. But by sort of leaving it open, we can all bring our reasons that we don't recognize Jesus in our life to this story. But as vague as Luke is about the cause, he's very, very specific about the cure. So here's the story. The disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus and Jesus pulls up alongside them, and they have this long conversation. And, uh, and Jesus is, is trying to teach them, trying to get them to see certain things, and they're just not picking it up. And then finally, after a couple of hours, they get to where they're walking to. 
and um, and the disciples are are going to go to this home where they're staying, and um, and and Jesus makes like he's going on up the road, and the disciples look, and it, it's getting dark, and it's not safe to be out walking in the dark, and so they do the polite thing, and they say, "Hey, um, uh, stranger, why don't, why don't you stay in our home tonight?" And, and eat with us and, and go on in the morning. And Jesus takes them up on it. And so they have dinner. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus is the, um, is the invited guest. But at this dinner, he acts like he's the host. See, it's Jesus that blesses the bread and gives thanks for the bread like the host at the table would do. And the disciples don't think anything of it. It just seems so natural to them that Jesus would sit at the head of the table and would preside over this meal. So they're not even blinking about it, but there's something so odd about about the guest being the host of the meal. So Jesus takes the bread like he's taking it so many times before. And he blesses it. Probably uses the traditional Jewish blessing for bread. Bless, O Lord, King of the heavens, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then with these nail-scarred hands, he takes the bread and he breaks it. And it's in this moment that disciples' eyes are opened. When the bread is broken. See, up until that point, their hearts were already there. Their hearts were burning. They, they were just uh, something so right about this guy being at the head of the table and this guy breaking the bread. And it's just like uh, it's happened so many times before. And, and so their hearts are already there, but their heads just haven't quite caught up to what their heart already knows. But in this moment when the bread is broken, their eyes are open and they recognize Jesus. All those things that kept them from seeing just fall away in this moment and they remember it's like that old familiar cassette tape. You hear the music, you hear the words, and all the memories come flooding back. They've seen Jesus break bread so many times and preside over this meal so many times, and it all just comes flooding back to them. So their eyes are opened. And they see the resurrected Christ in their midst. They remember. This meal that has been so many times that just a couple of days ago that Jesus shared this meal for the last time and he said something weird about this bread is a piece of me. And then he said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. This is the very next time they do it, and they remember. Their eyes are opened. 
The Jewish writer and philosopher Martin Buber talks about his grandfather. He says his grandfather was, um, was confined to a bed in his old age. He wasn't able to get up and walk. His, his muscles were, um, were, were, were too tired. And he describes um, uh, uh, his grandfather as, as being a, a devout man who had, who had trained under a Hasidic rabbi. So he tells this story. They're all uh, the whole family is surrounding the bed, and and they're and they're talking with this grandfather. And someone asks him uh, uh, about the rabbi that he used to train under. And if his face lights up as he begins to describe this holy man who had taught him so much about God. And he begins to describe the way. Um, uh, when the rabbi used to pray, he would be so overcome by the spirit that he would he would begin to uh, as he prayed he would begin to jump and, and, and dance and twirl. And Martin Buber says, as his grandfather got caught up in this story, he began to jump and dance and twirl as well as he told the story. And from that day on, Martin Buber's grandfather was no longer lame. See, there's a power in remembrance. There's a power in memory. And when Jesus calls us to this table to remember, yes, what he did for us, but he also calls us to this table to remember who he is for us. That he is walking beside us this whole time. He is always in our lives trying to, trying to point out the truth to us, trying to teach us another lesson. And we forget. But in the breaking of bread, we can remember. Last Sunday, we had our last uh, confirmation meeting. And one of the things, that we had a lot to get through. And one of the things on our item was we had to talk about communion and what communion means. And what it is exactly we're saying happens at this table. Different religious traditions teach different things. Now, some say that, um, that, that this, this bread and, and this juice uh, becomes transformed during communion and that it becomes physically in some way the body and blood of Christ. It's called transubstantiation, if you're ever playing Jeopardy. Some say that it's, uh, it's more of a metaphorical thing, that, uh, that it's, all, it's all symbolic, that we're reenacting something that happened 2,000 years ago, and that that, in a way, jogs our memory. We Methodists, just like everything else, we meet in the middle and we split the difference. And, um, and, and this, is, uh, this is what we've come up with. That, that the bread and, 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 and the juice are still just bread and juice physically, but spiritually during communion, they are for us the body and blood of Christ. That there's something happening on two levels. On the physical, bodily level, we're eating bread and we're drinking juice. But on the spiritual level, we're being nourished by Christ that we're receiving him into our hearts and into our lives, and we're receiving his grace, and it's transforming us, and it's opening our eyes to his presence. 
The two things are happening at the same time. Maybe it's enough this morning just to say it's a holy mystery. It's one of these things we'll never quite understand or wrap our heads around, but we get to do it. We get to take part in it. And that we believe that somehow when we invite Jesus here this morning, he takes over and he becomes the host. We invite him as the guest and then this becomes his table and he sits at the head and he presides. And that when he breaks the bread for us, our eyes are opened to his presence. In a couple minutes, we're going to do communion together. And we're going to do it the same old way we've always done it. We're going to use the same old words we've always used. Maybe sometimes you, you, you get tired of it. Maybe sometimes you just you, you stop paying attention to it because we've done it so many times. But my prayer for you this morning is that it will be like that old cassette tape. That as, as, you, as you take part in these familiar words, that all the memories will come flooding back. That you will picture all the people that used to sit in these pews and take communion alongside with you. All the saints. But also that your, that your eyes and that your ears and that your hearts will be open to the presence of Jesus in your life right now, right here in this room. My prayer is that you, as you come forward to receive the body and to receive the blood, to receive the bread and the cup, that the prayer of your heart will be silently now I wait for thee Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my heart. Illumine me. Spirit divine. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.